And the facts is this, boys. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. Hiya, and welcome to The Curb Podcast. My name is Andrew F. Pierce, bringing you discussions about Australian films and culture with the people who bring them to life. This podcast is recorded in Bulu, Perth, Western Australia, Sovereignty Never Ceded. Scott Hicks is an Academy Award-nominated director with his Best Picture-nominated film Shine, bringing his work to international attention, alongside the work of film subject, pianist Delph David Helfgott. We're now some 26 years removed from the release of Shine, and the echoes of its impact continue to resonate within the creative minds of those who have become the vessels for music. In Scott's latest film, The Musical Mind, A Portrait in Process, he explores just how that well of creativity is tapped into as he follows the lives and stories of four interconnected artists. First is David Helfgott, the centre point for each figure and a vital creative force who encourages, inspires and energises those around him. Moments with his wife, the late Gillian Helfgott, show a supportive, nurturing relationship, one where Gillian sees the brilliance of David's mind and the manner that it operates and navigates his path of musicality. Then we meet the man who, as a boy, played the role of a young David Helfgott's hands in Shine, Simon Tedeschi. Simon is a genius in his own right, and with his story we hear how he navigated the complicated reality of being labelled a child prodigy, while also exploring the fractured state he, le- he was left in due to that level of reverence. We then flow into the orbit of another youthful genius mind, Daniel Johns. For many, we came to know Daniel through Silverchair, the iconic Australian band that worked with David Helfgott on their magnificent opus, Emotion Sickness. Daniel's story is one full of deep complexity. Here is a man who daily tries to grapple with what it means to be a creative entity. Like Simon, it's a complicated state to be in, and not one that Daniel himself fully understands, as he sees himself as a conduit for the music, rather than being a musician himself. Finally, swirling into the orbit and feeling the tonal resonance of Shine play out in his own life, is Ben Folds. We see his Adelaide home and hear how his creativity moves forward in unexpected ways. In one awe-inspiring sequence, we see Folds train a captive audience in how to harmonise both together and separately, creating an oral experience that encompasses your heart as you hear it play out. These four figures, David, Simon, Daniel, Ben, each create a layer of a symphony that is tied together by the conductor, slash the director, Scott Hicks. The Musical Mind is a powerful and fascinating exploration of creativity and how important it is for it to be nourished and nurtured by those who see it emerging within individuals. In the following interview, recorded ahead of the film's release in November 23 in Australia, Scott talks about how his own creativity, creative mind works, how the sense of dreaming plays out when he's making a film, and what it means to be a filmmaker in Adelaide. To listen to other interviews, head over to thecurb.com.au. But for now, here is a clip from The Musical Mind, A Portrait in Process, followed by the interview with Scott Hicks. As soon as I got a guitar, I could figure out what the notes were. I'm not good at anything else. Might as well try this music thing. I was writing songs, I guess from the time I was about nine years old. It does do a strange kind of damage being told how good you are. And I'm still called a child prodigy. I woke up on Saturday morning, 
here I was on the front page of the paper. <laughs> the surprise, surprise, it was a surprise, wasn't it? I think the songs are usually a composite of whatever crap I've heard that day. It's like a sketch, and then you start painting on it. If you can imagine it, you can do it. It's unlimited up here. It makes you feel so alive. Every note's important, and every word is important. I remember the first show that I ever played, we were 12. It was in an underground pub. I got paid with a Coca-Cola and a meat pie. And I was like, we've made it. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time to be able to talk about your magnificent film. I was quite taken oh. by it. It's really quite the experience. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, let's start, I guess, we're talking about uh, it's 25 years since Shine came out and the, the monumental impact of that film. And I'm curious if you can talk about the creation of this particular documentary as an echo of that film. Yes, it's funny that the, the, the reverberations of Shine sort of never seem to stop, which is amazing. It has a has a quite a life. But um, this was specifically with, you know, the what was then the 20th uh, 25th anniversary of the movie. And um, I thought it would be fun to to revisit David, uh, who I've stayed in close contact with all these years anyway, um, and uh, show people, you know, share with people the life that he's enjoyed since Shine, because that was such a turning point in his life, um, which really sort of gave him back, you know, a lost career that 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 he'd suffered through illness and. Um, and then it sparked the thought that, well, what about some of the other musicians who had some connection with David or with Shine or, you know, so Daniel Johns came to mind because he and David had formed a great rapport when Daniel invited David to perform on Emotion Sickness with the band. And that, so that seemed like a really good avenue to, to pursue. Simon Tedeschi was, <laughs> as a child prodigy then in when we were making Shine, as a 14-year-old, he his hands stood in for the young David on the screen. Um, so I was interested to catch up with him and the, the the career that he's now enjoying as an international concert pianist, having made that very difficult transition from child prodigy. Uh, and Ben Folds, I mean, Ben came to live in Adelaide, you know, around the time that Shine was there, around and, and out there in the world. So we became good friends back then and did various things together. And so that, that was a sort of a, another link in the chain. So I thought, well, let's go and talk to these people in their private worlds and see whether we can tap into what, what turns them on musically. What, where's their, you know, where's their inspiration come from? How do they, how do they deal with it? You know? And so that was the beginning of the journey. I'm, I'm curious as well, like, obviously the film is about, as you're saying, their, journey with music and and what turns them on musically but i'm your films have, have often had a very lyrical quality to them and music is a really quite a key component of them so i'm curious what turns you on to music what interests you about music i don't know i mean i you know look as a child i um enjoyed listening to classical concerts on the radio and i enjoyed going to classical performances when i could um, so I always had an interest in, and, and particularly in the piano, for some reason. Um, I had had piano lessons, but I, you know, I couldn't make the full commitment 
necessary to become any good at it. Um, but it always stuck with me. And and then, you know, well, even before Shine, um, I had on my first movie, uh, Freedom, the score was done by Don Walker from Cold Chisel. So that was a sort of an entree into that world of the rock and roll musician and his process of of creation and, and recording. Um, and out of it sparked a series of film clips that I made with in excess because Don Walker had introduced me to this young singer from Western Australia, Michael Hutchins. Um, and I, so I came to make some clips with them. So yeah, music began to be threaded into my movies, my, my filmmaking. Um, and then Shine, of course, was the ultimate expression of that, if you like, where it was a film entirely about that, um, the life story of David Helfgott up to that point in time. And um, and the reverberations of that have sort of continued ever since. And, it, and as you say, the, the occasional documentary since then, I made a film on Philip Glass, um, which was tremendous experience for me. Um, and uh, And then a film about the Adelaide String Quartet, um, or I beg pardon, the Australian String Quartet. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a it's been a, a constant thread, um, and I've enjoyed moving between the narrative cinema and the documentary world, and music is often the bridge, the bridge between those two. The film is so much about exploring what's in the mind of the musician, but again, also I'm curious what's in the mind of Scott Hicks as a filmmaker. You've kind of touched on it with that exploration of music, but there is also this interrogation of what it means to be human and how we create and the the drive for creativity. That's what I see in a Scott Hicks film. Is that what you see in a Scott Hicks film? Well, I I love that you say that. I really appreciate that because... It is the journey, really. And, you know, um, I mean, my connection with, with Daniel Johns has, has one that has been, it was sparked through Shine. With Daniel, I think it's not too much to say, has been quite obsessed with Shine over the years and viewed it many, many, many times and um, identifies very strongly with the content of the film. Um, but we... We struck up a friendship largely over the phone where we would talk for hours about art and film and sculpture and, you know, it was not always music, you know, it was it was about the, the processes of creativity. And so part of me felt like, I wonder if there's a way to be able to share some of this with people, uh, because I think Daniel is an absolutely fascinating character, most extraordinary musician and um and you know, over his he's been in the public eye for for most of his his forty odd years, and uh, and that's you know he's had quite a journey of his own, um, but he has such profound interest in in art and creativity in a more general way than specifically music, and but music has been his main outlet. Um, so it was right. How can I share this with people? And the only way, in a way, was to was to be invited into his private world and have conversations with him, like we did on the phone, but sitting face to face. Okay, so I was holding a camera, or there were other people with cameras, but that was almost incidental to the conversation. It was an ongoing conversation that we'd already been having. Um, so that I, I thoroughly enjoyed that process and his frankness and his, you know, his 
his fearlessness, which is part of his great uh, accomplishment as a musician, I think, springs from those very things. If I could convey a fraction of that to people, I feel like I would have achieved something. Well, that's that's the thing, isn't it? You're in the company of greatness. In I mean, you, you yeah. are a great filmmaker in yourself, but there is a there is something about a musician, and I think Daniel puts it so brilliantly that he's he doesn't consider himself a musician. He just considers himself, you know, the vessel for the music to flow out of him, um, yeah. which is it's so hard to quantify. But what's that like for you as being the person interrogating that, talking to these people, as you're saying, talking to Daniel about that work, but also getting to be the first person to hear them create something in their, in your presence? That was, yeah, well, that was, you know, remarkable. And really the, the sort of great generosity of spirit that they all showed in, in, in being very candid and very open um, and sharing that process which is you know what it, the film's called a, 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 a portrait in process you know but um that was you know i loved the fact that daniel could as as a result of really contemplating his own process over the years he's able to articulate it as beautifully as he does in that you know this it's it's like he occupies this sort of liminal um space between sleep and wakefulness, um, there's a great word for that. I keep meaning to look it up because my son Jet knows it, but it's it, it's it's an actual word about, and, it, and the creative impulse seems strongest to him in that state. And 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 as he says, he has he feels he has greater access to his subconscious than than to his conscious mind, which can be filled with torment and sort of you know confusion but this other state of mind where the music comes to him is 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 a is, is that sort of a twilight zone if you like um i just thought that was a remarkable perception you know um and you know what it put me in mind it put me in mind of jean cocteau who as a poet or even as a filmmaker if he was if he was when he was going to have a sleep, he'd put a sign on his door saying the, the poet works. <laughs> you know, because that's where his inspiration came from. I must tell him that actually. I forgot to tell him. <laughs> it was like, oh. That's the thing. It's like it's like uh, Pichapongwira Sethical always says that he wants people to fall asleep when he's watching his films because it's where the mind opens up. You know, it's where the creativity opens up. He's happy for you to watch it, but he wants, you know, that kind of experience. And I find that so fascinating. Well, that, did you was, did, did you see Bardo? I did, yes. Um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. You see, that sort of occupies that space in a different sense, but that that the space in between consciousness and unconsciousness, mm. uh, I think, you know, in a profound way, that film explores that, that avenue. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's fascinating to but, me. But that state of mind is not something that just happens overnight. It's also fostered and nurtured and, and nourished by support. And I'm curious if you can talk about what it means to also have that kind of support as an artist to be able to explore these kinds of ideas. Obviously, the, the four subjects in the film, in their own different ways, have been given an avenue to be able to be creative. And so often, uh, especially in Australia, that's something that is... is a luxury in some capacity. 
Yeah, I think what's I think what's intriguing is that yeah they've all found a way into music. Um, you know, I think in in different ways. I mean, there was you know Ben Folds who says of himself that he was you know he was a hugely sort of disruptive child and um, would cause all sorts of disturbance at school until one teacher happened to encounter him picking out a few notes on a on a keyboard and thought well if if he could be encouraged with music, maybe his behavior might be moderated. And what do you have? A platinum winning pop star. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's just, a, you know, an amazing and a highly complex musician, Ben Folds. You know, his work with orchestras and so on is really superb. He's, he's actually, he's also an artistic director to the National Symphony Orchestra at the Kennedy Center, which is considering he's a fairly punk sort of rock guy, is a pretty amazing feat, I think. Um, so, yeah, but how, how do you explain that? I mean, that was just a perceptive teacher, and we all need those people in our lives. And we have one in the film, too, in the, in the, in the form of Anne Phelan, who's the uh, conductor of the Bellingen Youth Orchestra and the music teacher at Bellingen High School, who has created an amazing ecosystem of music in a country town with an orchestra 70 or 80 strong or more out of a local high school. And the, it just didn't exist before she was there. They had like a school band with five or six students in it. And she has created that by, by treating them seriously and giving them opportunity and showing them that it's important to be really good at what you do. So music is not secondary. It comes first but along with it must go your other work as well, you know. And in fact, it opens up the mind to other elements of study and, and academic success. So it's it's a fascinating, fascinating story. And the Bellingen Youth Orchestra gets worked into the fabric of this film through David Helfgott, who is the patron of that orchestra. And he's performing with the school band, which is just was a marvellous thing to, to witness. See those kids who just were inspired by David's presence, you know. I, I love the moment where we get to see him playing alongside them and that energy just feeds off one another. It's such an electric yes. experience. It's it's powerful. Yeah. Exactly. I'm curious then, did you growing up have somebody that was supportive like that as in, in your creative endeavours? What kind of uh, support did you have growing up? Um, well, you know, I mean, I had a, I had a loving family, but I, I have to say I went to boarding school when I was just barely seven years old. So uh, for about six years or seven years, I was, I was in boarding school. And that was where I asked and begged to have piano lessons because I thought it would be pretty cool to, to do that. Um, and indeed I had, I did have piano lessons, but I lacked the seriousness of intent to, to get as accomplished at it as I would have liked. Um, but, uh, it became embedded in my in my being in some way because yeah my enjoyment of listening to concerts and going to concerts and that led me to see this person called David Helfgott when he passed through Adelaide in 1985 um, which was the most astonishing performance I'd ever seen so much so that I just went up to David and Gillian afterwards and said what's the story and then that 
10 years later, we made shine. <laughs> so it's a, it's a beautiful relationship. It's a beautiful friendship. I, I'm curious as well. There's also the, uh, the, the paintings that appear throughout the film. And I, I'd love to hear the discussion about how that organically became part of the process and the vision of who these minds are. Well, you know, it, it happened sort of subliminally at first, which was um, uh, Simon Tedeschi happens to be married to a prominent artist called Lorabel Sparowski. And Lorabel was painting and working in the same spaces as Simon was, you know, rehearsing and practicing at the piano. And so she was naturally a part of the film filming process um, getting a canvas out while he's saying, oh, I've forgotten this bloody Mozart, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and she's priming priming canvases and starting work. And it occurred to me as we went on, because she paints extraordinary portraits of Simon, these deep psychological portraits of a concert pianist, um, quite very compelling stuff. And um, I thought, wouldn't it be fascinating if we could see Lorabel creating portraits of each of our musicians um, so that we see the process in a sense, a, a visualization of what I'm trying to do through the music and conversation with them, which is to build a portrait and in a way, a collective portrait. So that all four of them are represented in some way. So it became, it grew organically out of that. The fact that Lorabel was there and it took me a while to wake up and realize that this was an idea staring me in the face, you know, uh, and it became such an important, important part of it. Really, yeah, they're, they're beautiful portraits, absolutely wonderful because they encompass who these people are, and and we get to see a different perspective of them. Um, I'm curious as we lead to wrapping up. One of the aspects about you as a filmmaker, as well, is you know you do a lot of work in Adelaide and and have created a lot of films in Adelaide and I'm, uh, this year in particular has been a phenomenal year for Adelaide filmmakers and I'm curious what it means to be and you know somebody who creates stories and tells stories from effectively the heart of Australia the center of Australia what does that do to you look I I, I love it I love the fact that Adelaide has become this this uh, sort of mecca really for for serious filmmakers and great sort of independent filmmakers and the South Australian Film Corporation, I mean, I witnessed the birth of that organisation 50 years ago, it must be now, and, you know, I directed the first feature film by directed by a South Australian in decades, you know, 40 years ago, and, I mean, it's been an integral part of the film world, all sorts of ups and downs, but currently it is a powerhouse of uh, support and ingenuity in in helping filmmakers realize their dreams so you know the really good filmmakers come and live in adelaide and work here um it's it's always been here and it's always been that town but it's going through one of those wonderful cycles with really good people kate crozer runs the south australian film corporation and she has a tremendous sense of what what filmmakers are looking for and how to support them to the best of her ability and so I, I love it. It's just, um, like I say, it's, it's always been here. It's just not been noticed for certain periods of time. Um, but way back in the day, back in the 70s, when I was just learning about film and people, the best filmmakers in Australia came to live in Adelaide. Peter Weir lived here and made three movies here. He was a, what a, a maestro that you could work, you know, you could work on his movies and observe 
firsthand a great director. Bruce Beresford, another one, lived here for years, made three three or three films at least here. So all of it's always Adelaide's always had this capacity. Uh, it's just that off, very often the other cities don't notice it. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, in a way, Shine grew out of that, grew in that vacuum. Because people always said to me, when are you going to move to Sydney? When are you going to come and, you know, you can get you can get work here all the time. I stayed in Adelaide and I worked on the thing I wanted to make. And then I got to make it. And then I didn't go to Sydney. I went to Los Angeles and had a, another career. <laughs> so, you know, but Adelaide has always had this creative impulse. Um, and you can spiral a lot of that back to the sainted Don Dunstan, the premier of South Australia in the early 70s, um, out of whose vision a lot of these things grew. Um, so I've been a lucky recipient, and uh, it's it's wonderful to be able to give some of that back in different ways to the film community. Well, we're lucky recipients of your work. Uh, thank you so much for your time as well, Scott. It's been a real treasure to be able to talk to you about it. Uh, congratulations on the film well, too. Thank you. Yeah. I oh, appreciate that very much. Thanks a lot.